0: Hello and welcome to the Decorum Talking Newspaper for the week ending Saturday, June 17th. This is Janet and your other readers are Amanda and Brian. Your editor is Riley Carver, our technician is Jake and this week the team is number three. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel, Hempstead, Berkhamstead & Tring Gazette & Express newspaper. All telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442, unless stated otherwise. This week's headlines, campaigners call for a hospital to be built nearer to Hemel, utility firms in Hertfordshire have been fined £400,000, and 56 new homes have been given the go-ahead on a brownfield site in Hemel. These and other stories follow.
1: Hello, this is Amanda. Campaigners have claimed a hospital taller than Grenfell Tower in the middle of Watford will not solve West Hart's health needs. Leaders of the not-for-profit West Hart's 21st Century Hospital Solution have said they welcome the government's funding pledge for a new hospital in the Hertfordshire town, but they added the campaign for a new hospital closer to Hemel Hempstead and St Albans is not over. The Department of Health and Social Care has promised to fully fund, rebuild or refurbish Watford General Hospital as part of its £20 billion new hospital programme. The new unit at Watford will be built according to a standardised hospital 2.0 which could save money and speed up construction. West Hertfordshire Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust has planning permission for three hospital rebuilds at Watford General, Hemel Hempstead and St Albans City Hospitals. According to Trust this project comes with a £1.27 billion price tag part of a business case which the government has not yet signed off The not-for-profit leaders wrote in a statement The recent government announcement made it clear that the new hospital must be designed and built in a modular, standardised way This 21st century efficient approach would result in a reduction in both costs and time compared with previous major NHS schemes. The statement continued, Constructing a hospital 20 metres taller than Grenfell Tower on the sloping car park immediately adjacent to the busy operating hospital will make it impossible to deliver to the required 21st century efficiency criteria. It adds, The new leader of Decorum Borough Council, Councillor Ron Tyndall states that he would like to reduce health inequalities for the people of Decorum. He should therefore not exempt the current proposal from our local NHS Trust, whereby our only future A&E and maternity hospital will be located on the far side of Watford, next to the football ground, with the endoscopy unit, currently at Hemel Hempstead, being transferred out to St Albans.
2: Hello, this is Brian. Liberal Democrat leader of Decorum Borough Council, Councillor Ron Tyndall, who took on the role after the May elections, suggested his authority is out of time to push for another solution. I want the best for Decorum, and we will do whatever we can to achieve that, but there are very few options open to us. The previous administration made its case to West Hertfordshire Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust, but the Conservatives failed in successfully making the case for a hospital closer to Hemel Hempstead. The planning process has been completed, although we are still waiting to find out what we're going to get. We're not just at the 11th hour on this. We're at one minute past midnight. Hemel Hempstead Conservative MP Sir Mike Penning said, We are understandably disappointed that it will be on the existing Watford site when it is so obvious that a new site equally accessible from Hemel Hempstead, St Albans and Watford would have been the more sensible option but I concede that that battle has now been lost. He added, it is right though to welcome this news. Watford General has deteriorated to such an extent that a completely new hospital is much needed and I know that staff and patients alike will be pleased with this news. Defending the hospital 2.0 approach, a government spokesman said, our national approach to standardization includes facilities more efficient state operation be digital designed to improve staff and patient experience by utilising the latest technologies and be designed with clinical staff to ensure that plans meet their needs and support their well-being. They added, as with all new hospital schemes, funding is only finalized once the final business case is reviewed and agreed. These designs will support the NHS workforce and patients for emerging challenges building on current experiences to ensure we meet the needs of the future. The new hospital programme has already supported the new multi-storey car park at Watford General and has approved the reconfiguration of pathology works across the three sites. A local NHS Trust spokesman said the announcement by the Secretary of State for the DHSC was excellent news. Confirmation that our proposal to build a new, fully-funded District General Hospital at our Watford site means that we can now press forward and create the much-needed, state-of-the-art, clinically-led, digitally-driven hospital for the population of West Hearts.
0: Utility and telecoms companies were fined in excess of £400,000 by Hertfordshire Highway's chiefs last year for working without a permit or not sticking to its conditions. Statutory undertakers such as gas, electric, water and telecoms firms have a legal right to place their apparatus, drains, pipes or cables within the highway. And where their work is deemed to be needed in an emergency, the companies do not have to tell the county council until after the work has begun. But for planned work, they need to obtain a permit from the local highway authority in advance. And once any work has begun, they have to stick to the conditions of the permit, which may include conditions relating to road or pavement closures. Now, in response to a question put by Liberal Democrat Councillor Stephen Giles Medhurst, it has emerged that the companies have not always stuck to the rules in the county. In 2022 23, the county council issued more than 4,000 fixed penalty notices to utility companies worth in excess of £400,000. Executive Member for Highways and Transport, Councillor Phil Bibby, confirmed the action. In the, final year, in the financial year 2022-23, we issued 299 fixed penalty notices for working without a permit, said Councillor Bibby. The value of these is fixed at £300 each, So, the total value of fines issued for this offence was £89,700. In the same financial year, we issued £3,900 for breach of permit conditions. The value of these FPNs is fixed at £80 each. So, the total value of of the fines was £312,000 across all statutory undertakers. Following the admission, Councillor Giles Medhurst has hit out at both the companies concerned and the government. Frankly, the fact that over 4,000 fixed notice fines were issued to companies show they are making a habit of breaking the rules, even when they have a permit, he said. However, with fines as low as just £80, it is clear they are nowhere near high enough to stop them doing this. They were set in 2007 and are way out of date. Councillor Giles Medhurst suggests that the fixed penalty notices should be increased from £80 to £800 to impact on compliance. And he points to the impact that the process has on the county council. It costs the county council a lot of time and money chasing up companies that blatantly ignore the rules, so that costs us as county taxpayers, he said. We have to stop them ignoring the rules and disrupting everyone's daily lives. He said he now intends to raise the issue with national bodies, such as the County Council Network.
1: De Borough Council has approved a 56 property housing complex on a brownfield site in Hemel Hempstead. Also included within the approved project is a purpose-built headquarters for homeless charity dens. It is said that all 56 homes will be classed as affordable. Located off St Albans Road, the development will consist of one- and two-bedroomed homes. Named the Paradise Depot, the site is currently occupied by the DEN's office and food bank, as well as other business buildings. Developer RG&P is promising to completely redevelop the area. Grant Giblet, the project's lead and RG&P's director, said... Paradise Depot occupies a central location with plenty of amenities nearby, meaning it's entirely suited for a modern mixed-use development. We extensively modelled the site to maximise the number of new homes, which I'm pleased to say delivers beyond the original expectation without compromising on space standards for residents. The two-storey Dens Centre has been designed in close consultation with the charity to better serve its needs and will comprise a ground floor food bank and bike workshop together with first floor community cafe, office space, kitchen and multifunctional meeting rooms. The overall design will create a real sense of place, not just somewhere to live and work, but an attractive and sustainable environment for the whole community. It's very welcome news that our vision is shared by Decor Borough Council and the application has been approved. Designers hope the new project will reflect Hemel Hempstead's Tudor heritage. It will feature a blend of red and dark brickwork with hit-and-miss detailing and a rusticated plinth. However, RG&P has planned a contrasting design for the den's building. It will have a predominantly darker appearance with black frame windows and rain-screen cladding. Its food bank entrance is designed as a focal point and will feature decorative tiling inspired by Hertfordshire puddingstone. Paradise Depot is RG&P's third affordable housing scheme for Decorum Borough Council. Previously, it developed the Kilner Court and Magenta Court projects, which have opened in Hemel Hempstead. Its approved design also includes cycle and scooter storage, car parking, residence garden, and additional landscaping. Work is set to begin this summer.
2: A Hertfordshire councillor has pointed the finger at the ridiculous objections that are made to proposals for new children's homes in the county, such as fears relating to gangs, drugs and knives. As part of a drive to cut costs and to keep children in care closer to home, the County Council has plans to open 27 residential care home beds by the end of 2023. Fourteen of those beds are already up and running, with 13 more planned. But at a meeting of the Council's Children, Young People and Families Cabinet panel on Thursday, June 8th, Conservative Councillor Peter Hebden highlighted the barriers that could be put before planning applications. There's not a lot gets me angry in local politics, but this does, Councillor Hebden said. He had seen the most ridiculous objections to children's care homes. Typically, prospective children's care homes are converted, modern-day, family-style homes with rooms for just two, three, or four residents. And they go through the planning process because of the change of planning use required. Councillor Hebden suggests there should be a way that they could be fast-tracked rather than going through what could be a slow, laborious process and at the meeting he highlighted some of the issues that could be put forward by objectors. They have these visions of feral rogue gangs of inner-city children roaming the streets with knives and selling drugs and breaking into cars and everything else, he said, whereas it couldn't be further from the truth. We all know these are children who just want to go to school and make friends and lead a normal life, the advantages that the rest of us have. Councillor Hebden pointed to a response to a planned care home in his own Hatfield East division, suggesting it was not based on planning issues and not backed by evidence. He said, I think there is a big duty amongst us and our colleagues in districts and boroughs to put these daft gossiping and rumor mongering to bed, really. In total, the council is looking to create an additional 31 new beds in residential children's homes, which will require four more to be identified. It's part of a residential strategy that aims to reduce the placement costs for looked-after children in residential care. At the meeting, Executive Member for Children, Families and Young People, Councillor Fiona Thompson, stressed that it was important to engage with communities. She said it was important to engage with local communities and councils to create an understanding of what a modern-day children's home is and what a modern-day children's home is not. We need to do the best for these children, some of them the most vulnerable in society, she said, and it's beholden upon all of us to help support that, and also to monitor and to ask those questions.
0: A man has been arrested in connection to an ongoing counterfeit money investigation in Hemel hempstead Counter-terrorism police announced on Wednesday last week that a man has been arrested following searches of four properties in Hertfordshire. Eastern Region Special Operations Unit officers obtained warrants to search two homes in the county. On Thursday, June the 1st, officers raided two addresses in Hemel Hempstead and Radlett. Around 2,000 pounds in suspected counterfeit cash was seized from the Radlett address and a 23-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of possession of counterfeit currency and possession with intent to supply cannabis. He has since been released on bail. With support from Hertfordshire Constabulary's Operation Scorpion team, investigators also identified a flat in Hemel Hempstead, thought to be cuckooed as part of county lines drug dealing. Between one and two kilograms of cannabis was found in the address, along with about a £1,000 worth of money. Criminal groups involved in drug dealing frequently used cuckooed addresses, often homes of vulnerable people or drug users, as a base for dealing drugs. Detective Constable Robert Sheldon said, this arrest forms part of an operation into suspected counterfeit currency criminality, and our inquiries are ongoing. We often see gangs operating across different types of criminality and our intelligence shows that drug dealing in particular is directly linked to an array of other other offending. That's why we'll continue to work closely with local forces to identify criminals operating in our communities and ensure they are brought to justice. Information on suspected counterfeit money can be reported to police by calling 101. More information is also available on the Action Fraud website, www.actionfraud.police.uk. More information on county line drug dealing and how to report suspicions can be found on www.hearts.police.uk forward
1: slash advice. Citizens' Advice Decorum has received a huge number of inquiries from local people struggling to stay on top of household bills as the cost of living crisis continues to make life incredibly difficult. Thanks to the tireless dedication of its volunteers and staff, the local charity has continued to give essential advice and crisis support to help people find a way forward. In the last year, Citizens Advice Decorum has helped almost 7,000 people with over 16,000 issues, including debt advice, housing, benefits and employment advice. 61 volunteers at Citizens Advice Decorum have contributed over 20,000 hours in the last year. Angela Fox, CEO at Citizens Advice Decorum, said... We're forever grateful to our wonderful team of volunteers who willingly give up their time and skills to ensure people in decorum can get the support they need. I'm particularly proud of the dedication they've shown during the ongoing cost of living crisis when demand for our help has been so high. Their hard work, dedication and commitment is incredible. We simply couldn't do it without them. Regretfully, due to funding cuts, we are having to close our office on Fridays in the Forum Hemel Hempstead, effective from Friday, July 7th, although there will still be an advice line telephone service on Fridays. This will subsequently lead to further pressure on our Monday to Thursday service and an increase in waiting times. To donate online or volunteer, visit decorumcab.org.uk. and, or visit the stand at Berkhamsted Market on Wednesday, June 21st.
2: Berkhamsted residents are being asked to help save the John Sayre almshouses, which were built more than 300 years ago. The bungalows on the High Street were built in 1684 after John Sayer, the personal chef of King Charles II, Bequeathed the thousand pounds in trust to buy the land and build the properties for the relief of the poor in Berkhamstead. The first inhabitants were six widows, and the bungalows have provided housing for women with links to the town ever since. Clark to the John Sayer Almshouses charity says Not many people know we are here, and we need to raise our profile if we are to survive. Any donation would be welcome to maintain the buildings. And continue to help those in need if you wish to support the charity please visit justgiving.com forward slash campaign forward slash jsa restoration
0: an unfair school admission system has been slammed by abbots langley councillor sarah bedford after the publication of data by the county council Last year, King's Langley School was so oversubscribed, it received applications for more than 700 would-be pupils for just 186 Year 7 places. In line with the admissions process, applications were prioritised from pupils living in particular priority areas for whom it is their nearest Hertfordshire school. But that, says Councillor Bedford, means that some children living closest to the school and within the priority area are still not getting places because there are other schools that are closer to their homes. Now she is calling for places to be allocated based only on distance between home and school, which she says would bring the school in line with other non-selective schools in the county. Councillor Bedford points to data that shows that this year it would have made a difference to 29 pupils. That's 29 pupils who were refused a place at the school for September, but who live closer to the school than successful pupils living elsewhere within the priority area. Most of those children who are missing out, she suggests, live in and around Abbots Langley. That's because, although they live closer to the school, there are other schools that are closer to their homes current admission rules at the school have been in place since 2011 when a change was made by the county council to give a higher preference to children living in Bovingdon. but councillor bedford says that contrived rules that favour one area over another are not fair she said the rules are contrived to favour one community over another i believe the rules should operate as they do for almost every other non-selective school in the county where children get in on the basis of distance to the school. Admissions for Kings Langley School are coordinated by Hertfordshire County Council. And in response to Councillor Bedford's concerns, a spokesperson for the County Council said they are satisfied that the admission rules used by the Academy are compliant with the National School Admissions Code. Kings Langley School headteacher David Fisher acknowledges the admissions concerns that parents in Abbots Langley have and the overall pressures for places in areas of Hertfordshire. He says Kings Langley has taken steps to increase its intake where possible, including the admission of an extra 30 pupils in Year 7 last year. Commenting directly on the concerns surrounding the school's admissions criteria set by the County Council in 2011, he said, Kings Langley is significantly oversubscribed as a school, with parents citing culture, ethos and results for their reasons. We follow the Hertfordshire admissions process, which is in line with national admission rules." At no point has Councillor Bedford contacted the school directly to discuss her concerns or to talk to me about how we support families in Abbots-Langley. I would welcome Councillor Bedford coming to discuss it.
1: Hertfordshire Constabulary has relaunched its appeal for witnesses in connection to an assault at a service station near near Hempstead. A man was knocked unconscious following an argument involving three motorists at, in South Mims. The incident occur, occurred at Bignall's Corner on the roundabout leading to the entrance of the services sometime between 4 and 4.30pm on Monday, 24th of April. Witnesses saw two men arguing. They were driving the drivers of a white Peugeot partner van and another white van. A third man, who was driving a blue Ford Transit van, got involved. It is alleged that the third man assaulted the driver of the Peugeot, knocking him out. The suspect is described as a white man in his 20s of slim build. PC Laura McLaughlin said, We have been making extensive inquiries around the vehicles to try and trace those involved and to establish the circumstances around what happened. We're now appealing for witnesses to come forward as we progress the investigation. I appreciate the incident occurred a while ago, but if you witnessed it or the events leading up to it, we'd like to hear from you. We'd also like to hear from anyone who may have captured dash cam footage from the area. If you can help, please contact us. PC McLaughlin can be reached via laura.mclaughlin at hearts.police.uk. Information can also be reported online via wwwheartspoliceuk forward slash report or by calling 101, quoting Crime Reference, 41-335-99-23.
2: A long-serving Hemel Hempstead councillor who received an OBE in 2009 has died at the age of 75. Ian Laidlaw Dixon passed away on June the 1st. Hertfordshire County Council said it was saddened to hear of Mr Laidlaw-Dixon's passing. He represented Hemel North East in county meetings from 1993 until 1997, and then Hemel North West from 1997 until 2009. Mr Laidlaw-Dixon served on a number of committees and cabinet panels, including Corporate st- Strategies Panel, Policy and Resources, Resources Scrutiny Investment and property. He also served as Labour Group leader between 2005 and 2009. He was a member of Decorum Council between 1979 and 1987 for Aidyfield East. He was also a member of Hart's Police Authority between 2005 and 2009, which he served as chairman for five years. Mr Laidlaw Dixon was awarded his OBE for services to the police. Born in Leighton Buzzard in 1948, he was a former BT manager who devoted much of his time to voluntary work, including his Director of Dens 2010-22, Director of Decorum Council for Voluntary Services 2009-22, and as a trustee of Dacortium. Hertfordshire County Council Chairman, Councillor Terry Doris, said, Ian worked tirelessly for the benefit of the community through his diligent work on the county council and he is a great loss to our county not only did he serve his constituents so well but he also dedicated much of his spare time to working with the voluntary sector to build and support those less fortunate
0: other deaths this week cecil evans passed away peacefully aged 84 His cremation will take place at Bearton on Monday, June 22nd at 2pm. Jacqueline Nind, née Burrows, died aged 69. A Thanksgiving service will take place at St Peter and St Paul Church in Tring on June 19th at 11.30am. Peter William Sawyer died at home aged 79. His funeral service is on Tuesday, June the 20th at West Hearts Crematorium, North Chapel, at 11.20am. And Michael, or known as Mick Sherfield, died aged 75 at the Royal Cornwall Hospital. Formerly of Apsley, he lived in Redruth. His funeral will take place at Treswithian Downs Crematorium on Monday, July the 10th. May they all rest in peace.
1: Drivers are being advised to make sure they lock their vehicles securely after an increase in thefts in Hertfordshire. Decorum was the hardest hit with an additional 30 more offences compared with 2022. Crime Prevention Officer Darren Cowell warns that keyless entry systems are being exploited by criminals who are using jacking devices to pick up fob signals and unlock and start vehicles. He suggests using a signal-blocking fob pouch or metal box to store keys to stop the signal being detected. He also advises using a good quality steering wheel lock.
2: A treasure hunter has unearthed a silver coin spoon dating back to the 18th century. He found the object in a garden in Bovingdon. Stephen Eldridge who lives in the village, described it as a cracking rare find. At first, he did not know what it was, and used Google to investigate. I found out that in the late 18th century, the wealthy would have had their silver coins melted down and fashioned into spoons, plates, and other objects for display. He added, Someone suggested the writing on there might be Arabic, but I haven't found out what it means. Mr. Eldridge has become quite popular for his metal detecting, In the last year, he has been asked to help find a wedding ring, car keys and someone's hearing aid. He said, I'm happy to offer my services and I will look for items free of charge. I love giving some of my finds away. I'm lucky that I can go out and detect some of my Facebook followers can't. So that's why I like to give them away.
0: Now let's take a look at what's on this week. On Saturday, June the 17th, you can see Radio 2 favourite, Neil Bryden at the Old Town Hall in Hemel. He'll be bringing songs of heartbreak, self-empowerment and resilience, and will be supported by songwriter Isabella Corstock. You can book tickets at oldtownhall.co.uk. On Monday, June the 19th, also at Hemel Old Town Hall, the Screaming Blue Murder Comedy Club. The monthly event returns with a lineup that features Pierre Hollins and Andrea Hubert. Compare for the night is Windsor. Tickets are available from the same website, oldtownhall.co.uk. Hemel Symphony Orchestra will be performing an evening of film music at St. Peter's Church in Berkhamsted on Saturday, june twenty fourth. Conducted by Claudio DiMeo and led by Philip Burwell. Tickets are £14, under 18s are free. They can be bought from hemalsymphonyorchestra.com or at the door. The concert starts at 6.30. The Children's Fun Fair is back on the moor in Berkhamstead. It's open this weekend, then reopens on Thursday and runs until Sunday, June 25th.
1: Slightly further afield and the Milton Keynes Theatre is playing host to The Ocean at the End of the Lane from June the 27th until July the 1st. This is the National Theatre's major new stage adaptation of the novel by the best-selling author Neil Gaiman. The show is an adventure of fantasy, myth and friendship, taking audiences on an epic journey to a childhood once forgotten and the darkness that lurks at the very edge of it. Tickets are available from atgtickets.com forward slash Milton Keynes. And finally, advance alert for the return of the Ashlands Festival next month with a lineup of comedians, live music, an activity fil- fun filled zone plus a full bar. It begins on Friday, July 14th with an adults only comedy and curry night starring Paul Sinha of the Chase The fame. Food will be provided by the Fat Buddha, with drinks supported by Tring Brewery. Saturday, we'll see all-day live music alongside games and activities for people of all ages. Tickets can be purchased from ashlinsfestival.co.uk.
2: Films at the cinema this week, and action-packed superheroes dominate the big screen. Opening this weekend, The Flash. Worlds collide when Barry uses his superpowers to travel back in time in order to change the events of the past. But when his attempt to save his family changes the future, Barry becomes trapped unless he can coax Batman out of retirement to save the world. Starring Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton. Still showing, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Returning to the action and spectacle that first captured moviegoers 14 years ago, Transformers Rise of the Beasts will take audiences on a 90s globetrotting adventure and introduce the Maximals, Predacons and Terracons to the existing battle on Earth between Autobots and Decepticons. Peter Cullen, Peter Davison, Peter Dinklage and Michael Yeo star. And the next chapter of Spider-Man continues with Across the Spider Universe. Miles Morales returns for the next chapter of the Oscar winning Spider Man saga. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full time friendly neighborhood Spider Man is catapulted across the multiverse, where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. But when the heroes clash, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders and must redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. All popular films are provided to cinemas with an audio description track. Please mention your requirements at the time of booking.
0: Sport now with a report on a tough day for Hemel cricketers. Hemel Hempstead Town CC fell to defeat at home to Flitick on Saturday. Things looked promising for Hemel as Brett Penny and Tom Elborn put on 63 for the first wicket, but then only Billy Jones and Ed Pike managed double figures as the flittick bowlers tied Hemel down and they were all out for 159 in only 40 overs of their allocated 50. George Thurston's, a constant thorn in Hemel's side over the years, set off like a train, hitting 39 in 29 balls. That put Flittick in the driving seat, and though Darren James, 3 for 32, and Path Mater, 2 for 20, were able to put the brakes on the Flittig scoring, they always had overs to spare. At 106 106 for 6 at the halfway stage of their innings, Hemel were in with a chance, but a rapid 19 from 16 balls by Michael Javid put Flittig back in front and they were able to play their way cautiously to a two-wicket win with 14.5 overs to spare. There was also defeat for Hemel too, at Bushy. Bowling first, Hemel kept the hosts down to a reasonable score of 178 all-out, with Jacob Hod- Hodgins, 3 for 42, and Freddie Lowe, 3 for 14, seeing off the last six wickets in the last 14 overs. Phil Smith and Ed Langley started off with 44 for the first wicket, but both were dismissed by Ishaq Ismail, who went on to run through the Hemel innings to end with 7 for 26. With the carnage around him, Aaron Wilson remained at the other end until Mohammed Hussein was brought on and bowled Wilson for 18 first ball. Hemel 3 overcame well in 3, Matt Petchel's 51, the highlight of their innings, while the fourths lost to Hitchin 3
1: by 52 runs. F- Football and former Kings Langley boss Chris Winton says he did not take the decision to quit the club lightly, but felt the opportunity to join the coaching staff at Slough Town was too good to turn down. Kings announced Winton's departure with much disappointment and admitted the timing was particularly challenging ahead of the start of pre-season as they prepare for the new Southern League Southern League Division 1 Central campaign following their relegation. Winton, the former St Albans City assistant manager, was appointed Kings boss following the resignation of Chris Cummins in November. Despite achieving some notable results, He was unable to keep Kings up as their seven-season stay at step three of the pyramid came to an end. The progress Kings made during his tenure was highlighted in a club statement. This read, In a relatively short tenure, Chris has made steady improvements on the playing side and just as importantly generated huge rapport with the club's loyal fan base. We have also worked closely with Chris to agree a pre-season schedule that he believed would give the squad the best possible preparation for the season ahead. The club realise, of course, that as a talented coach, Chris will always attract the offer of opportunities at other clubs. In this instance, the timing and consequence is particularly challenging for the club, but we nevertheless wish Chris all the very best in his new venture. The board remain confident of realising our ambition of a swift return to Step 3 status and we will share further updates in the coming days as we move swiftly to identify a suitable individual to take on the role of manager.
2: Staying with football, Berkhamstead Football Club is introducing a women's team at the start of the new season. The team will be entered into the Beds and Hearts Women's League and will play on Sunday afternoons. Which division they will be in will be decided later this month. Leading the project is Tony Clark, who said he hopes some players from Berkhamstead Raiders to join. And Chris Armand from Berkhamstead Raiders expressed his delight that the two clubs will be working together. The women's team at Berkhamstead Raiders is one of the biggest clubs in the country for girls football.
0: We have come to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are sunrise 04.43 and sunset 21.23, giving 17 hours and 40 minutes of daylight. We currently have a waning crescent moon. If you'd like to give us any feedback or if you have a news story or an event taking place soon that you think would be of interest to our listeners, please get in touch by email to dtneditors at dtnhemel.org.uk or leave a message on our telephone 927123. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemel.org.uk. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the amenities section that gives details of various group and contact details of organisations. And stay listening, as we also have an additional interview this evening with our wonderful secretary, Audrey Mackey, who is leaving us after 40 years. She feels it's time to put her feet up, and who can blame her? when, believe it or not, she's just four months away from her 100th birthday. But for now, until, good t- until next time, it's goodbye from all of tonight's team.
3: So Audrey, after 40 years, how does it feel to be leaving behind the talking newspaper? Well, I haven't really got used to the idea yet, but uh, it's only, um, I think it's 30, nearer 30 years than 40. Is it? I think everyone thinks it's 40. Well, you might be right. I don't know. Can't remember. So you moved to Hemel from London. I did. Why did you do that? because things were getting a bit nasty in London. People were getting attacked and my my flat was broken into. I thought, I've had enough of this. And then you came to Hemel and you got involved in the talking newspaper. How did that happen? Well, I started by doing a load of painting, decorating and all that. And I thought, right, I've had enough of this. I must find out what is Hemel Hempstead offering? So I went to the library. And I got a book out on Hemel Hempstead, which was quite interesting. And while I was in the library, I saw a notice on the wall that said readers wanted. So I rang up and said, you want readers? And she said, well, we don't need any at the moment. Can you come back later? I said, wouldn't it be easier to take my name and phone number and ring me when you do want someone? And she said, oh, all right. And then not very long after... I got a phone call to go for a a reading, which I did, which was in Berkhamsted at the time. And um, I remember I did a test. It was only a couple of sentences. And she said, aren't you nervous? And I said, no. And I couldn't see what there was to be nervous about. And then you took over as secretary? Well, not immediately, no. Certain jobs became available or needed someone, and I took it on. I think the first one was to do the rotors, And then gradually the secretary said she wanted an assistant secretary, which was actually to do the typing of letters. And then eventually she said she was going to leave. So I, I took over, and she left... She left me with an AGM, which was being a bit spiteful, but since I'd been doing all that sort of thing while I was working, it didn't bother me at all. And you're going to be 100 years old in a few months. You know, in October, end of October. And are you planning anything to celebrate? Yes, I'm planning a party. And how many people will you have? I don't know, but it looks as if there might be between 50 and 60. And how many family have you got? You're a great-granny, I understand now. Oh, crumbs, I've got lots of family. Yes, we've got grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and they keep growing. We've got another one due in July. So it's 100 years. How do you think the world has changed in that 100 years for you? I don't know, but someone asked me... To do a sort of this is your life. And, and, I, I'm trying, and they said, well, you must have done a lot of things in a hundred years, but I'm still trying to think what they were, what they are. <laughs> so you lived through the war? Oh, I did. In London? Yes. And how old were you? And then were you a grown up, a child? No, I was a teenager. And what was it like? Well, we, my friend and I, we ignored the war. I mean, we just had this faith that we were going to be all right and if our name was on it, we'd get it wherever we were. So we ignored it. We went to the cinema, we went dancing, we did everything that we wanted to do. Then you lived through the 60s? I did. And what was that like? I don't remember. Were you having children at that time? You weren't part of the swinging 60s scene? Uh, I'd have to think about that. <laughs> you know, no, my daughter was born in fifty. So you were well into the family life at that point? I was, yes. Well, I got married at late 40s, I think. And to sum up then, what would you say to all your listeners that have been around for the time at The Talking Newspaper? Well, it's been good to have them and we used to have a lot more contact with them than we do now, which is maybe a pity. Mind you, when I started, we had 200 listeners. Now we've got 50. Well, thanks very much, Audrey. And all I can say is have an amazing, happy birthday and everyone here is going to really miss you. Thank you very much.